So, hey, welcome to uh, really our last week of our Exodus uh, sermon series. Thanks for hanging with us the last number of Sundays here, really sensing that God is doing some incredible things here uh, on Sunday morning. I know I'm a little biased because it is the church that I have a privilege to help lead, but I really, truly believe that there is no place like pursuit. And so, thanks for hanging with us and supporting and uh, believing in really the word from God that we have uh, for uh, this region. As mentioned uh, in our announcement video, as you guys know, starting this Thursday, uh, we have conference coming up with really some world-class uh, speakers that we were fortunate enough to partner with uh, for this event. If you haven't already signed up, we're going to encourage you to do so, and uh, we're going to be excited to host that uh, this uh, coming uh, week. You know, as a church, we don't do a lot of conferences. Some churches and some church cultures, it's like they have a conference every three days, and uh, in some charismatic environments, that's not our environment. We haven't done one for a number of years, but really felt like this was a divine time, a divine window uh, of opportunity for the church to continue to take the next step here in this region. So please be praying for us as we head into conference week. I hope to see uh, many uh, of you uh, there. One of the things that we're excited about, and, and uh, if you haven't had a chance yet to check it out, you're going to want to. Uh, we've been working with our team to really redevelop uh, our online experience with our website. And a lot of the forms there now, you can fill out online and submit right there in your browser. And so one of the things that we've uploaded is, is uh, our membership form. And I would encourage you, if you haven't yet considered becoming a member, of this house, please do. We'd love to have your formal support as a member of this team. And May 2nd, we're going to be introducing all the new members here in uh, this community, several hundred of them. And so if you haven't already considered membership, please do so. And we'd love to have you here uh, in the house of God. Uh, This morning, I'm going to share with you a little bit out of the book of uh, Exodus. And in chapter 17, it records a story in the life and in the timeline of the Israelites that is is rather important. It's happening about a year after Moses has led them out of Egyptian captivity. In fact, most of the book of Exodus is covering that first 12-month journey out of captivity in the wilderness looking for the promise of God. And, and Exodus 17 is, is no different. It happens about 12 months after Moses leads the people out and they're in the wilderness. And one of the things that they're facing in the wilderness is not just issues of prosperity and issues of food and water and all sorts of things, but also these nomadic tribes that are seeking to war against God's people. And Exodus 17 tells us about one of those tribes and they're named the Amalekites. And the Amalekites are doing war against God's people. And and God has a conversation with Moses uh, in regards to that construct. And I think it's helpful for us to dive into that a little bit this morning and maybe uh, 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 receive uh, from from what Scripture communicates about the ethic of what it looks like to follow God. Exodus 17, starting in verse 8, the Bible says this, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at a city called Rephidim. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at a city called Rephidim. Just let me start there this morning and and share with you this principle. Any good idea that comes from God never manifests without a little 
resistance. In fact, as a believer, I've began to internalize resistance as a sign that we're actually pointed in the right direction, not the wrong direction. Jesus tells this to his disciples. He says, in this world, you will have trouble or conflict, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So we understand as Christ followers, we have signed up to follow Jesus, not because it is easy, but because it is worth it. And I think sometimes when people talk about Christ followership, they make it sound like every day you're going to wake up, everybody's going to cheer you on, you're never going to argue, you're always going to win the lotto, and you'll never have any problems. And the problem is we have sold people short on what the gospel actually communicates. Jesus says it this way, unless a man deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. If a man seeks to save his life, he will lose it. But if he loses his life for my sake, he will find it. The ethic and the culture of the kingdom of God is upside down to our world today. It is antithetical to the systems that govern what it looks like to have success in our world today. And in Exodus 17, uh, the Israelites have come out of about 430 years of captivity under Pharaoh as slaves in the Egyptian system. They finally get in the wilderness and you would think that God in his kindness and in his grace would have smooth sailing until they get to the promised land. But 12 months in, they revolt against Moses. They say, take us back to Egypt. At least Egypt had onions. At least Egypt had some seasoning. At least they had some good food. We'll we'll go back into slavery, but at least satisfy our flesh. And so Moses is dealing with disbelieving people who are grumbling and complaining against God, who have lost sight of the promise only a few months into their 40-year journey. And then out of the blue, they are attacked by the Amalekites at a city called Rephidim. You know, I got an email this week from somebody just letting us know that they were unhappy with our conference and they're going to be outside with protest signs at Pursuit Conference this coming week. I thought to myself, man, bring your friends, you know, just... I've just begun to internalize that resistance, not all the time, but a lot of times is a sign that you are pointed in the right direction. And so instead of becoming depressed or down or having a pity party or feeling bad about your life or saying, woe is me or complaining to God because you think you deserve so much better, maybe we ought to understand the construct of conflict as one of God's most powerful developmental tools in our life. Do you know that there are some spiritual quantities that will never be developed in your life until you face conflict in the wilderness. And God in his grace and in his mercy walks with us through a lot of different seasons in life, knowing that there are a lot of different areas of our heart, our spirit, our character, our emotional intelligence that got to be developed through seasons that we would rather fast forward. I don't know if you've been in a difficult season. I imagine you have. And our temptation is to say, God, rescue me out of it instead of develop me in the midst of it. And the response of spiritual maturity is, God, even when I don't know what I'm doing, I know what you're doing, and I'm going to trust that you walk with me both through the valley and the shadow, and there's development on both sides of those elevations. And so for you and me today, we haven't signed up for easy living. We've signed up for worthwhile living, knowing that God is working in us all things together for the good of those who love him. Think about it like ingredients with baking a cake 
take. Nobody likes those standalone ingredients as a dessert, but when they're all mixed together, baked at the appropriate temperature, left in the oven just long enough, what it produces is something that is worthwhile, but we don't want the oven. We don't want the mixture. We don't want to take the time. We don't want to allow ingredients that otherwise would function as standalone oddities. We don't want any of that. We just want what's on the end of the journey, but God loves you enough to not give you everything you want. God loves you enough to not give you everything you want, but instead walks with you through every season of life. He is the master developer. He knows what we need more than we know what we need. Friend, if our chief objective in life is to have movement without friction, we will never grow beyond this spiritual moment. The Israelites weren't looking for trouble, but trouble was looking for them. And it happened while they were in a city called Rephidim. The reason why I keep bringing that up is because that city's name in the original Hebrew means this, a place of rest. Friend, listen, what looks like strategy to the enemy always looks like opportunity to God's people because we are actually at our strongest when we are at rest. You can't afford to be a depressed intercessor. You can't afford to be a worn out Christian. You can't afford to be a disengaged believer in this hour. We do our best warfare from a place of rest. In fact, this is the principle of the Sabbath. While we are most at rest, God is most at work. Let me say it again. While we are most at rest, God is most at work. I think we have looked at rest as the absence of action, but that's not how God describes rest. In fact, rest is an attitude. It's an action. It's a verb that shows motion. What it's describing is this element of continuing to serve God, running and not growing weary, but not doing it from a place of trying to earn his love or earn his acceptance, but doing it from an understanding of your identity that I already have his love and have his acceptance. See, when I operate from a place of rest, I'm not trying to earn through striving God's stamp of approval on my life because I already have it because of the blood of Jesus. I've been seated in heavenly places, invited to enact heavenly business. And what God says about my life, my future, and this church is the final word. And so you'll have detractors and you'll have protesters and you'll have everybody who loves to give every opinion about every situation in life. But the reality is this, when you are a person who refuses to give away your rest, it prepares you to engage in strategic warfare for the hour ahead. In Deuteronomy 25, the Bible says this, when the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the Amalekites from under heaven. Do not forget. In one translation of Deuteronomy 25, 19, the Bible records that God says he will blot out the memory of the Amalekites from every generation. I want you to understand that one of the reasons why we engage in spiritual warfare is not just because it's focused on our own individualized self-actualization. Like, I want to have a better life and I want to be a better person, so therefore let me engage in some of these spiritual principles. 
Do you know that when you engage in a life worthy of following Christ, when you live to the high call of God, which is in Christ Jesus, it's not just about giving you freedom or giving you breakthrough. It's about doing something in the generations, which means this, obedience echoes in eternity. And so when I'm a person who refuses to lose my peace, refuses to lose my rest, refuses to lose my focus, stays in a place of worship, stays in a place of surrender, it's not just about me living my best life. It's about me setting into motion a generational inheritance that my kids' kids can carry on. Friends, in this church, we are standing on the shoulders of people who came before us, who plowed in the region, who believed, who prayed, who fasted, who interceded seated for a move of God in the Northwest. We are not people who are self-built or self-engineered. No, we are simply the next domino in a generational effect of obedience. And it is also true about your life. What you do in this hour matters. You might be facing stuff today and thinking, why me? But I'll tell you what, people who have a generational perspective say, I'd rather it be me than my children. So let me get victory in this region. Let me get victory over this issue. Let me get victory over this pothole or speed bump or ditch in my life so that my children's children don't have to face the same battles that I faced. And so for us in this region, as we're standing in this place of spiritual intentionality, warfare, worship, it's not just about what God is going to do in 2021, but what he'll do in 2031, 41, 51, and 61, long after we're gone. It's about what God does in the generations. But see, we've made faith so individualized. But scripture doesn't speak about my faith. It speaks about our faith. It speaks about the commonality of the faith of the brotherhood. The idea that when we come together, it matters for eternity. Do you know that the New Testament word used for church is ecclesia? And that's a word that the authors of scripture borrowed from local government. It was a word that meant the gathering of governmental officials to conduct official business. That's why church is important. It's not for you to be entertained because they'll share good messages and, and, and I'll preach a couple messages that aren't so good and you'll have great worship experiences and there'll be other times where you're not feeling it. It's not about our entertainment. It's about our activation as people who operate with governmental authority to conduct the business of the king. So that's why scripture says, if you bind it there, it's bound here. If you loose it there, it's loosed here. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. Why? Because friends know and transact the business of the master. That's why scripture says you are ambassadors of heaven, not seated in earthly places, but seated in heavenly places. Do you know that when we gather on Sunday morning, it is with the authority to shift principalities and powers. Never sell yourself short on the gathering of God's ecclesia. Paul says this in Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle or our battle or our conflict is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Let me expose a lie this morning. Some people believe that the more Christian I am, the less conflict I'll have. Here's the truth. The more Christian you are, the more conflict you'll have, but the less conflict will have you. And that's what it means to be self-differentiated. 
I'm okay in the sea of things that aren't okay. In the midst of storms that are happening around me, I'm going to be okay because my eyes are on the one who has already finished my story and it always ends better than it started because he's working all things together for what? The good, not the average, not the subpar, but the good of those who love him. And when Moses tells the Lord, show me your glory else, I'm not leaving this place. The Bible says God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock and his goodness walked in front of him. That's maybe the most basic definition for the glory of God. It's his goodness on full display. When we gather here on Sunday, morning, we are celebrating the goodness of God in the land of the living. We are celebrating and interacting with the weight, the canopy, the covering of God's glory that is deposited on his people. Friend, there's something that matters connected to our worship, connected to our confession, connected to our praise, connected to our lifestyle. There is something that matters. In verse 9, the Bible says this, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men. And go out and fight the Amalekites. And tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. And so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, watch, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And I was reading that verse this week. And I felt like the Spirit of the Lord said this to me. As long as the church will stay in a place of worship and surrender, the region will have victory. Now you might say, well, it's nice that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to you that, but where do you see that? Acts 16. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening, and suddenly there was an earthquake, a shaking in the region, such so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, the prison doors flew open, watch, and everyone's chains came loose. Not just the chains of Paul and Silas, not just the chains of the church, not just things that help people back who deserve breakthrough, but the chains of everyone came loose, which tells me this, when the church refuses to be moved from a place of surrender and worship, it's not just about us getting free, it's about the people who are impacted by the shift of the spiritual principalities and powers. Oh, it's not just about singing a nice song. No, in worship, in worship, we do violence against the works of the enemy. The Bible says this, the kingdom of God suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. No, friend, you are right now engaged in violent conflict. No, not against people, but against spiritual forces and dark rulers and authorities in the region. And why is there such this thing that comes against the voice of the church in this hour? Because if the church is silenced, and if we get moved from a place of worship and surrender, and we begin to lower our hands in a spiritual sense, all of a sudden we've given permission for another force to move in and to take ground. When the church worships, the foundations of bondage in a region are shaken loose. Friend, we have an obligation to this region to stand. And after we've done everything to stand, to continue to stand. You know what my prayer is in this hour? God, vindicate me without pouring. Vindicate me without pouring. 
vindicate this region with a move of your spirit. That's how God proves that, quote unquote, we're right. That's how God balances the scales of history. He vindicates his bride with an outpouring of his spirit. We owe the world an encounter with God. We owe this region something more than dry, dead religion. We owe this region something more than a safe Sunday gathering. We owe this region more than a couple nice principles on Sunday morning that never change your life and never impact your family. We owe the region an encounter with God. You might go, well, how is that even possible? Well, if we just keep our hands raised and stand back, we'll see God move. Now watch what happens. You're here today because someone somewhere didn't give up. And the region comes into blessing and victory when the church shows up in power. And we've got foundations of of sickness and foundations of depression and foundations of false religion and, and foundations of addiction. And when the church engages in worship... God begins to to shake things loose. Watch what happens in verse 12. But Moses' hands grew tired. And so they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Friend, victory in this city isn't dependent on me. It's dependent on us. When you serve in kids ministry, you're helping hold up my arms. When you tithe in obedience to God's word, you're helping me hold up my arms. When you invite a friend, pray for somebody at the altar, connect with a new family, you're helping me hold up my arms. And together we are seeing breakthrough in the Northwest. And we've got to connect our faith to something more than the action of a few. But instead, know the partnering of God's people for divine strategy for the hour in which we live. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the Amalekites from under heaven. And so Moses built an altar. And he called it, the Lord is my banner. If you've been in charismatic world for any number of months or years, you've seen a banner in worship. But the way that it's used in Exodus 17 is as a sign of war and as a sign of victory. Now, those of you who know my story know that I used to work in, in the governmental sphere. I, I worked for the Washington State Legislature, and there was always something that happened that was interesting when a foreign dignitary would come to visit Olympia. Whether it was an ambassador from China or, or Japan or another trade partner somewhere else, and, and they were coming to visit the state capitol, there was always three flags in the rotunda. And the highest flag was the flag of the United States. And the second highest flag was our state flag. And the third highest flag was the flag associated to the nationality of the ambassador who was visiting. 
But it was like our elected leaders wanted everybody to know that when you walk through the halls of power, the highest flag belongs to the nation. Friend, I want you to see what's happening here in Exodus 17. God is telling Moses in the same way when you wage war and wage conflict that you raise the banner of the particular tribe that you're in. I've got a flag that is higher than yours and it's waving over this city and it's waving over this region and it's waving over sickness and disease and poverty and conflict and it's a flag that belongs to the lion of the tribe of Judah and he is raising that flag in this region and in this hour so that all who walk by it can see that our highest allegiance and our highest honor belongs to the one who is worthy, the one who sits on the throne. And the banner over the Northwest belongs to King Jesus. And the church in this hour is being invited to partner with God in the raising of that flag. And there's a part for you to play. You may never stand on a stage and deliver a sermon, but that doesn't mean that you have an excuse to not be involved. There's a part for you to play. And when the church shows up in power, God responds from heaven and the foundations of the region are shaken. And for too long in too many places, we've allowed inferior voices to wave their flags as if they own this ground. But the Northwest has always belonged to God. It was framed by his very breath. When the Spirit of God hovered over the darkness and his voice rang out in all of creation, when he separated the dry land from the waters and his glory covered the earth, friend, the Northwest has always belonged to him. And the church in this hour is recognizing what has always been true. And we raise our flag. And we stay in that place of worship with our hands held high. And we stay in that place of surrender with our hands held high. And in doing so, God gives us victory. Come on, would you stand with me as we close?